Welcome to Pablo Held Investigates, where I talk to my musical heroes and peers about their creative process and their music. If you like this podcast, please consider supporting me at patreon.com slash pabloheld. And to keep informed about the interviews, my music and everything else that I'm up to, subscribe to my newsletter at pabloheld.com. Okay, let's start investigating. I think I heard about you first. I was following Chris Potter's, you know, activities. Uh, every time he was playing with somebody new, I checked that person out. And uh, it was around 2010 or 11, where I saw, I was checking who was playing at the Vanguard and I saw Chris Potter was playing with a new quartet and had a young piano player. So I sent a friend of mine, because I'm, I'm not living in New York, I sent a friend of mine over mm -hmm. there and he recorded the concert secretly from me. <laughs> he sent a spy. <laughs> yeah, was a, he was a kind of a spy. And he sent me the recording and then I was uh, really liked it. I thought you really brought something new to the current uh, state of the, the scene and the piano in, in, in jazz in general. That from my perspective was kind of missing or not there before. Uh, I really like that approach and still do. And so from that point on, I made an effort to check out as much uh, of your things that I, that I could. And it's always very inspiring. Oh, you. And you always make me listen. And I really like that. I really like that. Thank uh, you. If it was 2011, it was the very first time I played with Chris at the, at the Village Vanguard. Larry Grenadier and Eric yeah. Harland, I think. That's right. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. That was basically a result of a record date that Chris did for ECM. Yeah called The Sirens. Yeah. And basically, uh, it was a recording that had two two keyboard players. He had Craig Taylor playing acoustic piano. And I was playing prepared acoustic piano, but I was also playing harmonium and celeste. Yeah. So yeah, those gigs came out of that project, you know, because we're basically playing the, uh, some of the same pieces that we recorded. Yeah. I played it at the Vanguard. That state of playing with two pianos, that's something that happened a lot for you, right? I mean, in Threadgill's uh, uh, music also, right? Right, right, right. It's, it's interesting how that's happened. Henry, he had been talking for a while about doing something with a few keyboard players. And, you know, I've been studying with Henry since I came to New York. That was one of the main reasons I moved to New York. I received a grant from the Canada Council for the Arts to study composition with Henry. So when I came here, I was basically just, you know, hanging out a lot with Henry and, you oh, know, studying with him going to a lot of shows and uh, checking out a lot of music and, and you know, taking a look at his uh, his music and his ideas. So when a couple of years went by, maybe two, three years, and he started getting some ideas about doing something with keyboard, which is something that's not that common for him Yeah. Uh, to, to use keyboard instruments. So I guess just the timing was, was right. He put together a band with myself and, and a few of my peers, like uh, Craig Weinrip, a uh, fantastic drummer here in New yeah. York, and Roman Filiu, who's also from Cuba, is from my, the same town that I'm from, Santiago de Cuba. But he's been living here now in New York for a few years. Also Curtis McDonald, Chris Hoffman, who's in Henry's band, and uh, did Liberty you, Elman. Did you hip him to those guys, to your peers? Or did he know them before? I was wondering about that when I was listening to the records. Like, it seems like it's, it's coming from a very young scene that he might have been checking out, or uh, were you also suggesting people to him? It was a combination of things. 
basically, you know, I will be playing a lot with Craig and with Roman and, and Curtis. So sometimes, you know, Henry loves uh, coming out to shows and, and checking out what's happening in the city. So he will see me playing with them. And that's, you know, that was, I was kind of the introduction right. for Henry to that particular group of musicians, you know. And then when, when Henry got the idea to create that group, the connections were already made, you know, like we were already, you know, hanging out with Henry and talking about music, you know. And the same thing with Jason, you know, Henry has been a, a, a fan of Jason's playing for, for a long time. And he wanted his voice to be to be part of that group. So that's that's kind of how that how that happened. You know, he came out to see some shows and he he became interested in in their playing and what they had to say at, as artists. So it was it was a completely natural process that that happened. You know, out of us, you know, having a friendship and having a, a lot of similar interests in music. When you yeah. studied with him, you said you talked a lot about music with him. Like I was pretty late to the Henry Threadgill party. But I, when uh -huh. I started checking him out, I, I, I was completely amazed and it's kind of mm -hmm. a bit ashamed that I have been missing out before. This is so special music uh, and so, so unique. Mm -hmm. I'm really interested in what you got from him when you were learning from him, when you were studying with him, uh, stuff that you, you asked mm -hmm. him specifically and stuff that you always talked about influences or uh, like his working mm -hmm. methods. Uh, what can you share about this? Of course. I mean, with Henry, we, we've talked a lot about everything related to music. You know, I, I mean, we still, we still do, even though I'm not taking lessons like I used to, you know, when I, yeah. when I first got to New York, I used to go over to his house and we would get together and, you know, for hours we'd be, you know, looking at different pieces of music and, you know, we would play something for him and it was more hands-on, you know, now it's, it's not in that format anymore, you know, yeah. but we still, you know, talk a lot about music and yeah. a lot of the questions that I had were related to composition. Uh, different things that he was doing with, with composition, with form, with harmony, rhythm, counterpoint. Mm. I mean, I, I was I was interested in in learning how it was that he was connecting, let's say, the the spontaneous material that he was dealing with, with what was part of of a, say like a notated composition. You know, I was interested in in finding out how those things were related, you know, and mm. then I found out that the written material that he was coming up with was basically generated from a lot of the ideas that he had about improvisation. It and sounds very improvised. That, that, yeah, but I mean, a lot of stuff is highly notated. The notated stuff sounds as if like a secret being would improvise it, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's going through a lot of players, right? But it sounds right, spontaneous, right, 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 right. how it, how it right. kind of finds the way to the listener. At least it's, that's how it sounds to me. Yeah. Also, he has different ways in which he likes to, uh, let's, let's say, open up the composition. You have something on paper, but how you make that come about in an ensemble, you know, it's like different ways. Like, for example, there are different types of strategies that he has the players deal with to kind of create a spontaneous way of orchestrating the, the piece. At least in the sections that are dealing with uh, with improvisation, you see that sometimes a specific instrument is covering a certain wrench, you know, and then sometimes those wrenches are switched, you know, with another instrument or the area of the tonal wrench that a certain instrument is dealing with, you know, that could that could be interchanged with someone else. Mm. Also, the amount of activity that's happening, you could have one instrument that's playing a lot of information and then have someone else that's, that's not playing as much or dealing with, say, like a different kind of a feel or a different kind of a articulation. You know, you can have someone 
play legato and someone plays staccato and those things are interchangeable. So he kind of creates orchestration even in the improvised sections because a lot of the things that happen within the improvisation are sometimes map, mapped out. Uh, so they're already kind of preconceived, you know, as far as like what kind of texture is a certain thing going to have or what kind of uh, density yeah. is it going to have, depending on how the players are interacting with each other and that kind of stuff. So, you know, that really opened opened me up to a whole other set of, uh, of ideas and, and possibilities as far as like what you can do with with an ensemble uh, yeah. in an improvisational context. So so for me, it really had a, a deep impact on, on what I was doing, not only compositionally, but also conceptually. Yeah. You know, sometimes the lessons with Henry would be, let's go to, you know, Yusef Latif concert. Let's go to, uh, you know, Elio Carter. For example, one time to, we went to see uh, an Elio Carter premiere mm -hmm. of a piece that, that he wrote. And, you know, a lot of times it was like that, you know, he would take me to the, that's how I got to meet a lot of the musicians associated with the ACM. He, we, we would go to the concerts that the ACM puts on here in New York. And that's how I got to meet Muhal. Mm. That's how I got to meet George Lewis. That's how I got to meet uh, Roscoe Mitchell it was all through Henry, you know, so a whole nother world in music, I guess you could say, in, you know, music as a way of living. Yeah, nice, man. So yeah. <laughs> is there is there a specific stuff that you kind of consciously pull up again when you play like specific things that he said are meaningful to you still that you kind of have to remind all yourself all the time all the time and like I said you know a lot of things that Henry uh, was talking about had to do with how do you train yourself to be able to see something something meaning you know in this case you know any kind of musical material how can you train yourself to look at that from all kinds of different angles. Yeah. So for example, let's say you have a few bars of, of written music, you know, and he would kind of take apart, like back engineer, the way that something was put together and then use those raw elements in creating something else out of, out of that, yeah. you know? So a lot of things that I learned from Henry had to do with how to manipulate all the different parameters in music Uh, so that you can generate material, yeah. Uh, whether it, whether it is rhythmic material or or harmonic material, melodic, or different types of orchestration, different types of uh, form that you can create out of being in that kind of mindset. Like how do you, how do you look at something without considering it final, without considering yeah, right. it um, something that's solid, but something that's that's moving and alive. Every idea has its own purpose, right? But yet sometimes it's not obvious from the start what the actual purpose might be or what other purposes of it might be, right? Right, right, right. A lot of times it was just a, as an, uh, was done as an exercise in being able to come up with something without necessarily having to, let's say, feel inspired, you know. You know? So that's, that's something that we're talking about a lot and we're practicing a lot with uh, with music that I will bring for him mm -hmm. to to look at and um, obviously of course with his own compositions and with his own concepts I really admire in his music or especially on the records that you are on like uh, it's a big ensemble of, of uh, sometimes 14 15 guys um, right, 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 right and at times almost everybody is playing at times 
-hmm. but it sounds you can still see through everything and everything is so mm -hmm. every idea is so conceived in a crystal clear way that mm -hmm. although so much stuff is happening it's yeah it's like right. everything has its place although it's so complex right mm -hmm. well one thing that i can tell you about those those ensembles is that the group was made up of people that were already playing with each other and uncomfortable with each other you know that already set us off in a direction so that we could start, you know, playing at a, at a certain level without even knowing the music. But then there were also a lot of rehearsals. I mean, that kind of situation where, where you're already playing with people that you feel in tune with already puts you at, at, at an advantage, you know, when, yeah. when it comes to, to putting together new music. And then, you know, the rehearsals with Henry are not just, let's just, let's read this music and let's try to get this right. I mean, he's changing the music up to the time of the performance wow. keeps changing things. Uh, he'll, he'll change the form or he'll say, okay, let's take the last two bars and play them backwards and then go back to the third bar and loop the first three beats and then go and play the, you know, play like this other bar. And so he's always <laughs> changing things like that. And he's, he almost like does it in purpose to kind of keep you in your, in your toes. Yeah. He doesn't like anybody getting getting comfortable with the music yeah. because he he doesn't want people to play things that that we've been conditioned to play, you know. He always wants everyone to to be completely spontaneous with with yeah. the music. Putting that music together too, because I mean that's probably some of some of the most challenging music that I've ever had to play. It really took a lot of rehearsal. Yeah, and uh, just being being in in Henry's world, you know, and knowing what he's hearing in in certain sections and and how he envisions certain things to jump off the page. And like you said, a lot of times, a lot of the players in the group are playing simultaneously, but everyone in the group has like very specific roles. Even in the improvised parts, it's not just um, you're free to do whatever you want. I mean, sure, you're free to do whatever you want, but at the same time, there are like certain kinds of, uh, like I said before, strategies that you that you follow so that it works as a as a group and as a concept yeah wow yeah everybody sounds very much on their toes uh you know it's yeah nice. everybody everybody's definitely everybody in that group is definitely uh challenged yeah but it keeps um, the listener on his on on their toes too you know in, in a way like we're all also like okay what what's going to happen next i don't know what's going to happen next it's very unpredictable yeah, yeah it's very unpredictable you know even for us you know in the group and, you know, after having played the music, you know, even after a while, there's always that feeling of like, you know, not feeling completely comfortable in a yeah. way. And that's, you know, it's just embedded in, in the music, in the way that he writes music and in the way that he, that he approaches improvisation and composition in general. Mm. How do you go about it when you lead a band, like on your recordings? Uh, because mm -hmm. when we talk about something like Gnosis, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of written material also. Like, how do you, how do you approach that in that that kind of uh, setting? Do you take the lessons that you learned from from Henry, for instance, and mm -hmm. do your own thing with it there? How do you how do you approach it? Yeah, I mean, when I when I approach uh, making a recording, I'm really dealing with the totality of my experiences as a musician. So basically everything that I've been exposed to from, you know, studying with Henry or studying with Barry Harris, 
Yeah. Or spending time with uh, someone like a Stanley Cowell or, yeah. you know, or playing in the different bands that I've been playing with for the last 10 years or, or even, be, you know, all, all your experiences, at least for me, you know, are coming to play. But definitely Gnosis was a project that, uh, but actually not only Gnosis, but pretty much everything that I've done since I came to New York has been influenced by, by Henry. Um, for example, the first recording I made when I got to New York was called Continuum, and it was something that featured Andrew Cyril and Ben Street. Ah, you have it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that, that record is very influenced by Henry. All of them are really, you know, they just happen to be dealing with, with specific things that I wanted to say and, and convey with these recordings. But he's had a, you know, definitely a, a big influence on, on what I'm doing. Yeah. I was just yeah. pointing out Gnosis because it's a, it's a bigger ensemble and you wrote yeah. you know, a lot of written yeah, material for, sure. for it. This is why I made the connection. Of course, we're always the result of everything that happened to us before. and For uh, sure, and yeah. It's also very subconscious how everything, how every musical situation triggers another influence and, and another right. combination of influences also. And sometimes you wonder where, where it all comes from. No, for sure. And... and You're completely right. When I first finished my first drafts of Gnosis, Henry was one of the first people that I showed it to. I showed it to Henry, and I also showed it to uh, Mohan Richard Abrams. Mm. I showed it to him, and we, we discussed it. You know, we, we, we talked about the music, you know, certain things that they saw in, in the music and certain ideas that they had about what I was trying to do. And, and uh It's definitely, definitely a big, big inspiration and, and a huge influence on, on the music itself. He actually kept one of the first rehearsal that I had, like about a year before we went into the studio, you know, because, you know, I wanted to work on the music ahead of time. So I, you know, I got together with the players and we did a, a rehearsal just to run through the music, you know, before, way before we went into the studio, just for, for me to, for one, to learn the music and also to see how it could be improved. So when Henry came to the first rehearsal, you know, he was, he was, he had a lot of things to say and it was just great, you know, to have someone like, like Dregil, you know, just sitting there at your rehearsal and, and discussing at length, you know, what the piece was about, you know, what, what could basically happen with the piece, you know? So mm. I'm very grateful for having someone like Henry, you know, involved with my music. That's amazing to have somebody like that uh, sitting in your rehearsal or uh, who you can ask about yeah. your compositions when you're writing and trying out stuff. I think that also takes a lot of courage on your behalf, you know, uh, because when you're writing something that's usually also a very vulnerable process, right? And uh, also other mm -hmm. opinions and, and views, because everybody's going to have a view. And there's the possibility of, you know, interfering also with your subconscious and maybe intuitive way of dealing of course. with things. So is it something that you're uh, doing very often, like uh, asking somebody else like uh, for their view uh, of, of your new written material? Or? I usually don't. I usually don't. It just so happens that with Henry, it's a, it's a very special kind of relationship. He doesn't really judge. How can I explain this? He, he's, he's not really judging my music in that, well, it could be better or worse. You know, he's not really looking at it like that, but he's he's really just kind of making me aware of the potential that something might have. Yeah. It's not about, well, you know, this is wrong or, you know, this orchestration here is weak or he's not really coming from, from that place. You know, his involvement with something, it's like, okay, how, how can I help you make something 
reach its full potential, you know. So, and the same thing with, with Muhal, you know, when I would get together with him, you know, like he would he would come to some of uh, some of my concerts, and we would talk about the stuff, you know, afterwards. And it was always positive. It never had to do with like, okay, well, you're doing this wrong, or there was no, yeah. nothing ever like that because they're, to me, those are the perfect kind of teachers. Someone that knows that you're after something that's personal and that relates to your experience and who you are as a human being and that can be uh, helpful in bringing that to to be the, the best that it can be, you know. Yeah. Rather than saying, okay, well, you know, you might need this, you might need that. It was never anything with Henry Rumuhal. It's never been anything like that. When someone like Henry is looking at, I mean, I've even, I've even gone to concerts with Henry and he's gone to concerts um, knowing that he's going to hear something that he might not necessarily completely enjoy. Yeah. But he feels like even in doing that, there's, some, there's something to be learned from something that you don't feel connected to. Yeah, that's deep. I don't want to mm. focus too much on all of your he heroes and, and uh, teachers, but um, mm -hmm. you've mentioned Barry Harris, and that's somebody I love too mm -hmm. uh, uh, very much. He was on my list of stuff that I wanted to talk to you about. Now that you said mm -hmm. the specific relationship you have with Muhal and, and Henry uh, and their way mm -hmm. of not judging and helping you achieve something's uh, full potential, I'm wondering how mm -hmm. you compare that maybe to your relationship with Barry Harris when, when you're studying with him, because I, I know from seeing a lot of his, his, his workshops and, and reading so much about him that he can be also very strict, like this is wrong and this is right. Not always, but in certain areas. For uh, sure, for sure. Uh, how, how do you compare that to, to, to them then? I mean, or how is your relationship with him? Barry's been very important in my, in my development as a musician. And he's been uh, absolutely beautiful with me, you know, as a teacher and as, as a person. The reason that I went to see him was be because of my love for the music of Bud Powell and, and Thelonious Monk and, yeah. and Barry's own music. So when I went to him and he sensed that I had a, a deep interest and a deep love for that music, it was all love, you know, yeah. all love and completely open. The very first time I came to New York was to visit him, you know, for, for a week here in New York, way before I moved to New York. So to have someone like that, you know, just kind of show you around and, and say, well, you know, you, you sit down at the piano, this is something that you need to check out and, you know, play rare tapes of, of Bud Powell and, and, you know, just like being around someone that's part of the culture yeah. and someone that's from a certain generation is just you know that's invaluable right there you know and to this day he's one of you know one of my favorite pianists yeah same here yeah yeah <laughs> um, when you when you said his touch i, I want to know what he told you about you know achieving that touch on the piano and what you got from that mm -hmm. well you know when i first came to north america i was basically Playing the way that I that I was taught in Cuba, which was coming out of both the Cuban uh, school school of piano playing and also the Russian school of piano playing, mm. which meant you know at that point I was you know just kind of playing everything with a kind of very percussive attack, and when I saw Barry play, I noticed that a lot of the lines that I that I heard someone like like Bud Powell or Tommy Flanagan play, and a certain feel that they would get on the lines had something to do also with their technique and yeah. how they were, you know, like the, the position of the hand and, and like certain certain movements and stuff. And Barry was basically talking about um, 
which is is that Horowitz in the back? Your picture in the back? There's Horowitz, yes, there. That's yeah. Horowitz. Okay. Yeah. Because he was he was talking about playing flat finger. Mm. Um, so if you watch a lot of the videos of you know Bud Powell and Monk, they're you know they're playing like that. They're not they don't have to yeah. curl fingers. And the same thing with Horowitz actually. Mm. It almost looks as if they're not moving their their fingers, and a lot of the a lot of the movements are achieved through arm movements rather than independent yeah. movement of the fingers. So he will get me to do different types of exercises and stuff that eventually helped, I guess, my way of playing. Can you can you exemplify them the or tell me about the exercises? Yeah, for example, he will get you to play a run or he will get you to play, say, like a C major scale, like completely, completely flat, you know. So, yeah. like, you know, with no, with none of these, you know, and without, without playing yeah. each note. Yeah. More of a gesture. Yeah. Uh, something that you achieve between, you know, like a certain motion of your arm and your wrist, yeah. but no movement on, uh, from the fingers. So as least tension as possible on, on the actual hand and the fingers. Yeah. And everything's smooth, you know, like he would, sometimes he would get me to do a glissando on the, on the piano, you know, just like a one, one finger glissando on the piano. And then he would get me to play a scale. And then he would say, see, mm. the scale is supposed to sound like a glissando. That's how even it should be. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're trying to play an even scale, you know, you might, you might be trying to do something else, but if you're trying to play an even scale, it should sound just as if you were playing a, a glissando, you know, yeah. so that's something that's like, oh, okay, so that's, That's hard. <laughs> you know, it's kind of, yeah, very hard, very hard. You know, and to this day, you know, I'm still working on it. And also, it, it really depends, you know, because sometimes I try to get a more percussive sound out of the piano, and, sure, yeah. you know, different things that I'm trying to do with the, with, the, with the sound of the piano. But he made me aware of all the sounds that you could, that you could get out of the piano by changing your, your touch. And he hit me actually to a book by Joseph Levine, which is Basic Principles in Piano Playing. Mm. I guess he at one point he he checked that book out and he, he worked out of that book a lot because Barry studied with Sophia Rosoff, who is a prominent teacher here in New York, classical piano teacher, and I think a lot of pianists studied with her, uh, Ethan Iverson and uh, maybe Fred Hirsch. Mm -hmm. I have studied with her. I mean, she was very revered by many people, and I had the opportunity to go visit visit her one time with Ben Street, actually, who took me over to see her. And I remember that Barry was, was studying with her. And I think maybe Walter Davis at one point, too, might have been going to, to see her. But uh, mm. for some reason, a lot of jazz pianists gravitated towards her. Mm. Yeah, she, she, was, she was incredible. She made me and Ben balance an egg on a plate. It was pretty, it was pretty yeah, hard sure, yeah. to do. Yeah. yeah, It's almost like your whole body and your whole mind had to like be focusing on this one thing. I think she was trying to get us to be aware of how your body and mind needs to challenge like a certain kind of energy and a certain kind of focus into making something happen. Yeah. At least that's what I got from it, you know, because he would say, okay, well, you know, what does I have to do with playing piano? Well, actually, it has everything to do with playing piano. You know, like, how do you harness and focus your, your energy? Mm. Wow, that's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> um, when I saw you play at our festival in Cologne, right mm -hmm. before you went on stage, you asked if you could go do a little warm-up in, a, in right. another room. So I was wondering, right, right, right. what do you usually do to warm-up? Uh, on tour, it's difficult because um, obviously you don't have access to a piano until you get to the venue. So 
when I warm up at the piano, I'm just, you know, I'm just basically trying to get my, my fingers going, you know, I'm trying to either go through, you know, a combination of scales, uh, different exercises that I, that I worked on over the years from a few of the exercises out of the Brahms exercises book mm -hmm. and like different passages from like Chopin etudes oh, yeah. and, uh, uh, charity etudes, you know, just piano stuff to just kind of get my, my fingers going, especially if you solo piano, you know, which is very demanding for me. Uh, it really takes a lot of, you know, just time on the instrument. What are you um, checking out or working on at the moment? Anything you'd like to share? I've been trying to learn some classical Cuban repertoire. Mm. There are a few classical Cuban composers that, that I'm really interested in. And um, which actually recorded some works on my on my latest recording. So I've been trying to to learn some more of those pieces. And and uh, um, this is a composer called do you do you know Monsalvatge? Yeah, Monsalvatge. Yeah, yeah. He's he's uh, he's uh, Catalan. Oh, he's Catalan. Why did I think yeah. he's from Cuba? Well, because he I think he has a he has a piece. He has some pieces with. Yeah that have to do with with cuba so that 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 could be why yeah okay but he has some beautiful music <laughs> <laughs> beautiful beautiful yeah. beautiful another composer that i like uh as well uh, from catalonia is uh, uh federico monpu oh man Mompu. he's, he's yeah. my favorite yeah, yeah he's one of one of my favorite composers yeah. and that's one you know that's one thing that i'm that i'm curious to you know now that I'm that I'm uh, you know making some music with uh, flamenco musicians I'm very interested in some of the harmonic devices that they use you know oh, yeah. some of those things you can you could hear in in Mampu's music and actually some of this music that I've been checking out from from Cuba I was telling you about you could hear some of the connections not only rhythmic but also harmonic connections uh, when I think about Mboko your record I was uh -huh. always uh, amazed and fascinated with your choice of combining Thomas Morgan and, and Bob Hurst together. I love that. I love that idea. I love that idea. Everybody asked me about that. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, it's that came out of, uh, you know, just my, my, my love for, you know, for Thomas and Bob Hurst. You know, I just, yeah. I just love both those guys. So when I had the opportunity to do something for ECM, for the type of music that I wanted to make, you know, like I started thinking about different musicians that I wanted to, to have involved and they immediately came to mind, you know, and both of them being bass players, I was like, wow, you know, that, that might be interesting, you know, having yeah. them play together. And then, you know, when we did the rehearsals for the, for the recording, by the way, I, yeah, I was listening to the, to the, to the rehearsals the other day and the rehearsals are actually very different from the recording. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause we never played any concerts with that band. Uh, we just, you know, we did the rehearsals and the recording, but was the, re the rehearsal re and the recording was it back to back or was it was there some time between? No, it was pretty much back to back. I think we got together a couple couple days, and then right after we went went into the studio. Yeah, you never really know how something is going to work, but you know, as soon as the rehearsal got going, I was like, wow, this, this is really special, you know. Mm -hmm. How did they interact also, you know, on a, on a personal level with each other? I think there was there was a lot of uh, mutual admiration, mm. you know, and, uh, and respect, you know, right. from both sides. You know, they were kind of jamming in the studio, you know, playing blues and stuff, playing standards in the oh. studio. Yeah. <laughs> to bass. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was wonderful. It was really a, uh, a wonderful experience. And I love each of them for different reasons, you know, because obviously there's such different players. Yeah. But now when I listen back to the recording, 
I'm really glad that I made that choice. You know, yeah. I'm very happy with that with that choice. It was a good match of personalities, you know, just having Marcus and, you know, having Marcus on anything. Yeah. I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> or Roman on anything. I don't have a problem yeah. with that at all. Yeah. So, um, sure. not that the music is super similar, but I somehow was uh, reminded of the vibe of Smokestack, you know, Smokestack, the, the, the okay, yeah, yeah, of course, of course, kind of, of course, the, that's the, fun. The vibe somehow went through. So the music is is different, mm -hmm. obviously, and you yeah. write different mm -hmm. stuff than Andrew. But I suppose Andrew is also an influence on on your playing and and writing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely, most definitely, most definitely. He's mm -hmm. one of one of my favorites. And Smokestack was definitely on my mind when we made that recording. I, it kind of by accident, actually. I mean, obviously, you know, in Smokestack, you have two bases. But also, I was particularly interested in figuring out how to, how to make the percussion work with the with the two bases. You know, when I mean percussion, I also I also include the drums and the piano. Funny enough, it's actually another recording by Andrew that I was thinking about when we made that recording was called Compulsion, because there is I... there is percussion on that recording. Oh, okay. I need to go back to that one. Yeah. And, you know, I was studying, you know, that record and how to make it work, you know, with, with the percussion and, you know, on the two basses, because it, it could be tricky because, you know, obviously the, the basses are, you know, covering the same, the same wrench hmm. and the percussion sometimes could also cover some of the same wrench. So it took a little bit for me, just a little bit of uh, figuring out, you know, how to, how to deal with that situation. Talking about Andrew Hill, there was one moment in the concert at our festival in Cologne. Uh -huh. uh, you were quoting a song and it drove me crazy because I actually had it on my mind for, for days after that concert. And you were quoting... Of Andrews? A song of yes. Andrews? Yeah, you were playing Dusk, you know? Oh, Dusk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you yeah, were playing yeah, yeah. only... It was only like 10 seconds and you played it and oh, I was like, really? shit, I know this song. Well, what is it? <laughs> what is it? And... It was just a tiny moment, but it drove me crazy. And I, I thought, where do I know it from? And I actually I didn't know the original version. I only knew a version by, by Frank Kimbrough. Oh, Frank Kimbrough. I see. Okay. So, and then I made the connection days after that. Like, okay, and this is Frank. So I went through all the songs, all the records of Frank's that I had. Like, what is it? Where is it? <laughs> and then I found it on a live recording of his. And then I found out, okay, it's oh. not his song. Okay. Whose is it? And then I found out it's Andrew Hill's song. And then I found out yeah. there's a record called Dusk. Right, right. But the actual arrangement on that record comes from a solo piano rendition of that piece. Okay. From a, from a live recording of Andrew's called Le Trinitaire. And oh. it's from, uh, from a live show at uh, Metz in France. There are two versions of the piece on that album. Mm. And there's one version uh, from what from what I understand from the from the lead sheet that I got from Johnny Bear mm. and Eric McPherson who played in Andrew's trio. Yeah, I can't remember now who who actually wrote the arrangement that's on Dusk. But what they did was like a lot of those horn lines that you hear on, on Dusk. Um, that's him improvising. Besides, that's from his solo from the wow. solo version. Wow. So what they did is they took some of those lines and they they arranged it for that format. Mm. I think he had a front line of maybe three horns. Yeah, and it's, I know it's Scott Carly. You know the rhythm section is Scott Carly and Billy Drummond. Billy Drummond, beautiful rhythm section. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They took the lines from the solo, from the solo piano version, and orchestrated it for the horns. Mm. 
Beautiful. That's that's what you hear on the on the actual recording desk. Yeah. yeah. But I love you should check out the that solo record is 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 one of my favorites. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll one check of my it favorite out. Favorite Andrew sure. records. Oh great. Yeah. But it was in my mind because I I had just played it before we went on tour. I played a couple gigs with Eric and with John. And we play that piece, so it was fresh in my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went into it. I went into it, you know. But I didn't. I didn't. I didn't remember that that we played. <laughs> that we kind of played it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It's just That's a funny. tiny, tiny moment. But it's funny how those tiny moments of concerts or of records that can spark like a you know crazy surge like that uh, for for other, right, other right, people. Right, right, like, right. Uh, you don't think about that when you play, but that can have a, right. such an effect of somebody who who can be driven crazy <laughs> by, by just right, right, anything right, right. that you play. That's powerful. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, who sings yeah. on the, the old Lux record? There's part four. Somebody's singing very loudly and very full of energy. In the very last part? Yeah. That's Henry. That's him. Beautiful. That's Henry conducting the band. Oh, right. Okay. Because he was in the room conducting the band as we played. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Henry's like, you know, he's, he's a, he's a, he's a force. Yeah. So that last section was very, in performance, it, you know, it would always make me cry because, you know, that piece he wrote for his uh, late friend, Butch Morris. Mm. So, you know, I got to meet Butch. I never got to play with him, but, you know, I got to, I got to hang out with Butch a little bit. And know him a little bit through Henry. Mm. So, you know, playing the piece is always uh, emotional. You know, he's very expressive in, in his conducting of the, of the piece, you know. So when he gets to the party, he's, he's, he would start singing it. That's how, that's how it sounds, you know. I was like, somebody's, yeah. somebody's into the music. I couldn't make out that it was him, you know. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah he's not singing into a mic. He's just, he's just in the room yeah, yeah, conducting yeah. the band. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This man, there's something that's on my mind in the last couple of weeks. I'm, I've been trying in my playing to to leave more space, and I'm really struggling uh -huh. with that. I think there are certain kind of temperaments in, in players, and there are people in mm -hmm. a way who play too less in a way, mm -hmm. and there are people who play too much. And I, I'm certainly <laughs> in the, the, la the second category. So I'm always trying to play less, and I'm, I'm struggling with it. And hmm. like we always say, don't think when you play because the music is too fast for it. You know, you, you'll get mm -hmm. left behind by the music because the music right. will go on and you'll still think about the next thing you want to play, right? So right. The, in that kind of time scenario, the time is fast. But what I'm mm -hmm. thinking about is now when I'm trying to leave pauses, I'm, I'm leaving pauses, but they feel like eternities, right? <laughs> Have you recorded yourself? That's what I'm getting at. I'm recording myself and those eternities mm -hmm. are super short moments. So how, how can time be perceived and felt like that flexible? And, and I, I think you're, you're very, very good at, at leaving pauses in your playing. And I was wondering, what, oh, wow. what, what's, your, what's your thought on, on that phenomenon of time and felt time, you know, in, in regards mm -hmm. to leaving pauses and playing? Well, you know, for me, there were a handful of musical experiences that, for one, made me really aware of that. The very first one was playing with playing in Steve Coleman's band. Mm. I mean, just you know, I was introduced to so many things, you know, through through playing in his band. But dealing with playing itself was a very different experience because sometimes 
I was expected to do things that are not expected from a piano player. For example, uh, comping this, the concept of comping within the context of Steve's band was very different. He would ask me to not play chords. Uh, he would ask me to comp with single lines or with with uh, rhythmic figures. You know, let's say the, the the piece had a harmony. You know, like I I could come up with like certain kinds of rhythmic figures, like clave like rhythmic figures that were more percussive. You know, even if I wasn't playing the actual chord changes, I don't know if that makes sense. You know, but mm. with like clusters and stuff like that, and um, that really changed my whole perspective and my whole concept when when it comes to to comping and that's something that i've been working on since then yeah that was the first experience then fast forward to moving to new york i had a chance to play with a band that mark turner put together it was actually my very first time playing at the village vanguard and that with was motion. Whole motion yeah i was going to ask you yeah. about that i listened to re to the recording yeah beautiful oh yeah yeah i wanted <laughs> so to ask you how that thing. felt yeah oh man that was that was that was life-changing too mm. because everything that i played just didn't sound relevant at all in that situation you know playing with paul like everything he everything he played sounded so matter-of-factly and so streamlined like so so pure like there was nothing extra in his playing yeah he was like a master of what you're talking about. He was strictly dealing with expression. There was nothing flashy or extra about about his playing. It was just what what he needed to be when he needed when he needed to to be. So that experience, you know, like like I said, you know, I would play something and it would, it would completely sound, you know, right away completely stupid. Stupid. So I had to like, no seriously, seriously. That's re that's really what happened. This was during the sound check. Because we didn't rehearse with Paul, we just you know we just did those gigs, but we didn't re we didn't rehearse at all. I guess he he didn't really uh, like rehearsing, you know. I guess especially in the, at that time. I mean, it was just for one, it was just incredible to feel his sound and and to experience his rhythmic feel. Yeah. It was very different, you know, uh, in comparison to any to anything that I had experienced before. You know, between the sound check and the gig, I was like, well, you know, I'm gonna have to do something because. Everything that I'm playing sounds very stupid, so, so I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to do something. I'm gonna have to do something because I'm I'm obviously not cutting it. So during that week, I just learned so much, you know. And one of the things that I learned was like, well, okay, you know, so there are certain things that you've been conditioned doing things a certain way, and you know, I was basically telling myself, well, you're gonna have to do something to get your hands to not do that because it's not really right now you're playing things that are not really coming from your from your yeah. mind's ear you're playing things that you have under your fingers you know it's yeah. like well you know that's not gonna work for for every single uh musical situation that you're involved with and that was proof you know here i was at the village vanguard playing with mark's group with Paul motion and ben street and I just felt like I, everything that I was playing was inadequate. It was outside of the sound that was that was being made at, uh, in that in that moment. So so that week was really fantastic for me because I was able to work on that. That you, on what you're talking about. Yeah. And then also playing with Henry. With Henry, sometimes he'll say, "Okay, well, play rhythm." You know what he means by playing with rhythm. Anyway, in the context of of these groups with Henry that I work with. It means playing more more activity and playing with a certain kind of touch, like a, maybe like a little bit more staccato. 
Mm. You know, he never told me that, but I figured that any time that he would ask any of us to play rhythm and we would kind of address his request, he would respond to that the best. So that was another experience that was really important. And also something that he told me one time, he said, okay, well, how about you take a piece of music and you take all the events, you take, say, you know, like all the, all the notes that appear on the page and turn them into silence. Wow. And you take all the silences and turn them into notes. Mm. Just just as an exercise, you know. What I walked away with from that was that he was referring to almost thinking in terms of negative space. Like if you're familiar with the, with the concept of negative space in, you know, in photography and in film and stuff, I would basically try to get myself to hear things in my head and not play them. Yeah by playing between those things, just as an exercise, you know, and that was something that he hit me to. He's like, well, yeah, you know, when you, when you want to play something, stop it. Don't play it at all. Like just, yeah. just don't play it. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And, and try to play something in between, you know, it's almost like a I counterpoint said, I, to your original idea. Right. I mean, right, right. Yeah. Now that was an exercise, you know, obviously when you're playing, it's impossible to, at least for me, it's impossible to, to rationalize things with that level of intellectual, because uh, I mean, that's what you do when you practice, you internalize things so that you can let them free in the moment, in the moment, you know, spontaneously. And when I started practicing and working, you know, like even just thinking about things like that, it just kind of opened up a whole nother sound for me. Uh, I mean, I don't know if that answers your, your question because it's really no short answer, but you know, that just came to mind, that one little exercise that Henry told me about. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and I mean, he gave me the, the example of doing it with something that was notated. He said, okay, well, you take something mm. that's, uh, you know, in a piece of music and you turn the, the notes into silence and vice versa. But I was like, well, you know, you could do the same thing without having to notate it just mentally, you know. Uh, it might not be exact, but it's the idea of yeah, doing yeah. it that might ignite something different in, in your playing. Yeah. I want to thank you for, for being part of this. Oh, man, thank you. That's one. That's a wonderful thing you're doing, man. It's important. Like I say, you know, we always get together, you know, Henry and I and, and a lot of the people in that, in that orbit, you know, get together and talk about music, you know, listen to music. But it's not common that people, you know, record it and put it up online and stuff. You know, we just do it for ourselves. But This is why I'm doing it, because musicians... When we're on tour, we talk all the time about, and when we're not right. on tour, like you said, we talk all the, all the time about music, but nobody right. nobody gets to hear these stories, you know? <laughs> right, 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 right. Uh, those flights and, 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 and sitting in the car, and you're sitting with somebody who has different experiences than you and shares them with you. That's a learning experience, mm -hmm. right? And I always think when I'm talking to somebody, uh, like now, If we would have sat here in my in my room, so many people would have missed out on all the great stories that you just told me, right? Mm -hmm. So I thought it's, it would be nice to to share that with other people. And then I just asked all, everybody I could think of that I would like to yeah. talk about. Uh, and it's, mm -hmm. it has been a great, great experience. Yeah, Like this That's one, man. I, I really love what you're saying and these past days um i went back to a lot of stuff from you that i hadn't listened to for a while mm -hmm. and uh i really love your playing man thank you likewise man i you know the, admi the admiration is mutual you know I, th mm. i think you're a wonderful musician and and uh 
And it's great, you know, that we got to meet each other, and and I'm so happy that we went to, you know, played it at the festival. Yeah, it's cool so, to uh, have you, you know, here. I hope, I hope we can keep, you know, we can keep building. <laughs>